Well, again, we are about to step into a new year, and we had a speaker for this morning. <laughs> Our good brother Dustin Kegris was scheduled to bring the word this morning, uh, but turns out when he arrived here from Florida on Monday, he got the flu. So matters got worse, high fever, and he reached out to me on Friday evening and said, Pastor, you might want to get a plan B. Um, it hasn't gotten better, and by yesterday morning, he had to go to urgent care. Um, so he's got pneumonia, early stages. He's on good meds, and in the meantime, he's got two kids that are now sick. So we're going to pray right now before I begin for our brother Dustin and his family, um, and for many of you who might be, like myself, battling the season, colds, flus, body aches, and maybe you are emotionally sick and tired, depression, weariness. There hasn't been much joy. I get it. And maybe you're looking at 2020 thinking, what, more of the same? Something's got to change. Well, I want to pause before I go into this morning's message and pray for us as a Solano family. Maybe you're extended family. Maybe you're experiencing some of these same symptoms on an extended family scale. You know, the holidays sometimes bring um, hard memories, you know, the truth and the reality of death doesn't take a break for the holidays. So there might be some of you might be experiencing the holidays for the first, second time again without a loved one. Or maybe you lost a loved one over these holidays. So let's um, be prayerful for each other now as we go to the throne, trusting that our God is very attuned and attentive to our cries. God's people understood this. For 400 years, they believed God had deserted them and was silent. And they cried out faithfully for a deliverer, for a healer, for a help. And that's why this season, to me, is so pivotal. Because it, again, reminds us, it positions us to cry out again. Not for bells and whistles but for a real deliverer, a Messiah, a Savior. And that's what I need. That's what we need. So let's go to God right now, trusting God to meet us. Gracious God, Father in heaven, I come to you now on behalf of my, my family, my, your children. It's us. And we're crying out to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood and for your life that you gave so that we might have access to the Father. And to help us in our times of need, Jesus, you promised to give the Spirit of God to be our comfort, to in fact pray for us, intercede for us when we don't know how to pray. And so, mighty Spirit of God, I'm so thankful that I have you now to help me to cry out on behalf of our Solano family. 
God, there are many among us this morning that have braved whatever they face this morning, physically, emotionally, just all the details of life. But they're here. And God, we've come to worship you and to be in community, to fellowship together. And we thank you for the gathering. Thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. Thank you for your love, God, that makes this possible. Thank you for your spirit's power that enable us to worship. And will you, by your spirit, God, lift the heavy loads of our bodies, our emotions, of our minds, and allow us to encounter you. Thank you that your, your love is just near to us. That because of what you've done, Jesus, we can cry out, Emmanuel, and trust in you to be the God that's with us. Thank you, Lord God, for our brother Dustin and for his willingness to travel to come to bring a word from you. But we trust you that you have plans for him and his family and for us. You're able to meet us all where we are, God, in our time of need. So we trust you now. May the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, may it all be pleasing and acceptable to you and you alone. And if you'd be so gracious enough to let it be an encouragement to your people, I pray this in your name, Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. So on this final day of the new year, our final Advent Sunday, and the last Sunday of a decade, I, I trust God has something for each of us. Um, I'm going to just give you the heads up that my voice may not finish with me. So in that event that it does, I've already got uh, my sister Stephanie... She's <laughs> yes, you'll pray. Um, I want to unpack for us what this season has been all about. Uh, maybe you're visiting, you've been popping in and out, uh, but we've had a five-week Advent season. Now, um, I think it bears explanation. Um, actually, after the first Sunday of Advent, which begins the Sunday after Thanksgiving. You see, Advent is more of a liturgical church seasonal celebration. It's actually the first on the church calendar. It begins the church year. So after that first Sunday, someone actually reached out to me and said, Pastor Dante, I was just wondering. Um, you know, I've been trying to research Advent and all I can find are like purple and pink candles. So I'm wondering, whose idea was it to have five candles? It's a great question. And I'd love to explain it to you. So I think this might be the Sunday to explain the tradition that we have embraced for the past two years, a five-week Advent. You see, traditionally, Advent would be four weeks. And... The purpose is, well, I love to be interactive, so I'm going to ask questions, and they're not rhetorical. So Advent, what does the word mean? 
I mean, it's funny because, you know, and I think that was a good question when I was asked about the candles because that's what traditions are for. So that when the children ask, what does it mean? Why do we have to do that? You can give them an answer, right? So what does the word Advent mean? Anybody picked up on that or just know from your Latin studies? What does Advent mean? Waiting. Coming. I like that. Or arrival. From a Latin word that means coming or arrival. Now, with that, the word like waiting, there's a lot that the season holds. And there's some good words that come out of the season like waiting. How about another word? When you think of Advent, what do you think of? Preparation. That's a great word. Preparation. Oh, well, I heard one over here. Adventure. Adventure. Oh, yes. Yes. Expectation. Thanks, Brother Peter. Preparation, expectation, waiting. Oh, yes. Longing. Yearning. How about anticipation? Yeah. So what we decided last year was that we would slow down Advent calls you to slow down and to be reflective, to be in touch with whatever it is you're waiting for, what you're longing for. The five weeks we said would be marked by a candle, each candle carrying a meaning. So we would have an Advent scripture reader I would love for us to, maybe for those that may not know, what was the first week of Advent marked by? Which candle? Anyone remember? Oh, there's a great story behind these candles. They're not just pretty candles. Who remembers the first week? The white candle. The white candle. You see, as the story goes for Advent, in the beginning, there was darkness. The book of beginnings, Genesis, tells us that the earth, the world was without form and void. Darkness. Yet there was hope. It says that the spirit of God was hovering above the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And on that day, God separated the darkness from the light. So this white candle reminds us of our holy, beautiful triune God, the eternal light that shines brightest in darkness. We read scriptures, I said before, each Sunday. I want someone to look up this passage for me. How about Isaiah 40? You're going to read verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Someone turn there quickly. And while you're doing that, someone look up Isaiah 9 and verse 2. So Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 9. Someone looking up those passages. 
So as God created light on that first day, we find out and learn that in Genesis, for six more days, God was massively creative. On that sixth day, he created human beings, a man and a woman. Later in the next chapter, darkness begins to creep into the garden through the form of a serpent, the enemy of God, the one who hated God, takes on the form of a serpent, and he deceives the woman of God's promises and God's plans and God's purposes. She takes of their fruit, gives it to her husband who was with her, and he did eat, and their eyes were open, the text says, and they knew then that they were naked. They became ashamed. They hid themselves from God. Yet God did come, as he would do, to visit with Adam and Eve. Adam, where are thou? Adam? I hid because I was afraid and naked. And then we have the blame game, the, the, uh, the first installment of the blame game that would con- continue for centuries. And then the curse. Adam and Eve were cursed and kicked out of the garden. And now there becomes this cycle of darkness and then God throughout history intervening into time to bring salvation. He saw it first happen in that moment when he took an innocent lamb, killed it, and sacrifice for Adam and Eve, and then he covered their bodies. And he would do this on and on throughout time, intervening into man's rebellion. Who had that passage now, Isaiah 40? Who has that? Can you read it out, Brother Paul? One through five. So with the holiness of God, as we worship and are in touch with that, it moves us to the second week of Advent. And which candle was on the second week? Did anyone remember? The second week after the white candle, the holiness of God, then there's the purple candle. The purple candle reminds us of our sinfulness, of our brokenness, and our need for a Savior, our longing for a Messiah. So we light this candle, 
And for the week, it's set aside to be a time of repentance, fasting, for us to be fully aware of our humanity and our need for a Savior. Who had the passage, Isaiah 9, verse 2? Someone has that one? Yep, I see you, brother. It's working now. Verses 2 and then verses 6 through 7. You want to pass it? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So the purple candle reminds us of our need, our longing, if you will, of a deliverer, of a savior, someone, because we've tried it in our own strength. We've tried it ourselves, and we found that we can't be God as much as we've been tempted and deceived that we could be like God. Throughout the week of repentance, our hearts are then moved for anticipation. And then the next candle we light on the third week would be, anyone remember the third week? Pink candle. The joy of anticipation. Anticipating our Savior. Someone read for me Isaiah 61. Verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. All right, Brother Mike. Isaiah 61. Thank you, sir. The Spirit of the Lord, is up- of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Thanks, brother. Those words speak good news to me, that Jesus, the Messiah, had come to preach good news to the captive, healing, deliverance, good news, joyful good news. And that leads us to the fourth week of Advent, 
and the fourth candle, which would be, this is just last week, people, just last week. Just, how many of you were here last week? We lit the crimson candle. Crimson. Symbolizing the incarnation of Christ. God taking on, taking on flesh, coming into the world to be our deliverer, to be the Messiah, the promised one. The mystery of the incarnation. God being 100% man and 100% God. It's a mystery. Many have tried to figure it out. I remember in Bible school, sitting in the lobby area, the lounge area, and the brothers all gathering in, and, you know, okay, let's talk about the hypostatic union. Okay. And everybody trying to figure it out. It's a mystery. And there's some things about God that are just reserved for God. But again, our desire to be like God, to figure it out. And when I figure it out, that's when I'll believe. There are too many holes. You just can't believe holes. Well, you probably haven't been married. There's lots of holes in marriage. It's a mystery. How a man and a woman from two different families, traditions, personalities, values, ideas, can become one and exist together and create children. And from the same two people create children that are totally different. It's a mystery. The beauty of Advent is that it allows for all of the mystery of God to be embraced. For us to sit in the mystery and the longing and anticipate and long for someone bigger than us. On the fifth week today, we find something that's exciting about the Advent season. Unlike the celebration of Christmas that ends on December 25th, the Advent season continues beyond the babe in a manger. Guess what? The babe grew up. And Jesus lived and loved and taught us how to live and how to love and gave his life. He did it all to follow the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit giving us a model of how to live, obeying the will of God and living in the power of the Spirit. That's the incarnation. And then on the fifth week of Advent, today, we lit what candle? Blue. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. The blue candle that symbolizes what truth, what promise, He's coming back, sis. He's coming back. Amen. We are living between the times. Between the times. There was a time where God's people were crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. 
Does that sound familiar? Have you ever felt that? Like we're in exile? Or are we too busy trying to make this our home? Are we too busy trying to make everything right here? And we lose sight of the promise. Do you understand? Do you realize, sisters and brothers, that Jesus speaks of his coming more than he speaks of his birth and his death combined. From Old to New Testament, scriptures, I was counting the passages. Over a hundred times, the second coming of Christ is referenced in scripture. I had to stop. I lost count. What does that imply to you? I'm curious. Think about it for a moment. If the mention of Christ's return is mentioned more times in Scripture than his birth and death combined, what does that imply to you? Say it again, Brother Ong. What'd you say? It's important. Simply put, it's a big deal. But honestly, ask yourself, when was the last time you thought about Jesus coming back? Amen. <laughs> Amen. And when you do, what does it cause you to do? How does it cause you to feel? What words come to mind? Excitement. What else? Relief. Relief. Amen. What else? Any longings? Fearful. Fearful. Mm. Yes. You see, Advent is a two-sided coin. On one side, there's joy and excitement and anticipation. And on the other side, there's a sober warning for preparation. Did you catch that? Joy and excitement of anticipation, and at the same time, a sober warning of preparation. Maybe we don't think about his coming that much because that would just mean that I'm not ready. Oh, God, I was planning to get do, go, can you just hold off a little bit? The disciples understood. So they wanted to know, Jesus, when are you coming back? And he would tell them, it's not for you to know. And Matthew even said, I don't even know. (laughs) Angels don't know. And you think because they're going to be involved in the whole thing, you think they would get a heads up. They don't know. Just the Father knows. I'm reminded of a passage that Jesus taught. He taught parables, these stories that were so common but yet so full of mystery. In Matthew chapter 25, turn there with me so you don't think I made this one up because it's a great story, and I love stories, but I didn't make this one up. Matthew 25. Beginning at verse 1, it reads, Then 
the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with them to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, can you imagine Jesus telling that story without a microphone and people just listening? intently, trying to figure out who is he talking about? Who are the wise ones and who are the foolish ones? So, simple question, what would make in this story those five virgins wise? Why were they considered wise? I'm sorry? Preparation. So then, why were the other five considered foolish? Wrong outfit? Lack of preparation, right? Advent is a reminder for us as the bride of Christ to be spiritually prepared. It's the sober side of our celebration, our own preparation. It's our own cry for, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know, the apostles, the prophets all spoke of Christ's coming and his return. Jesus spoke of it. And as we come to the table today, I, uh, as I was meditating and preparing, I was reminded of Peter's exhortation to be prepared and how we're called to live in light of knowing that Christ will return. He writes in his second letter, He says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I was stirring up your sincere mind 
by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through his apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But they are deliberately overlooking the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient Toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So on this final day, final Sunday, final day of Advent, I want to exhort each of you as sisters and brothers and for those that Jesus said they're just not of the flock yet, to consider your spiritual preparation today. And consider those who do not know. And the delay is so that all will know. God is not slack or slow with his promise, but is delaying so that all might come to repentance that all might believe this Advent story of a holy God who created people and called good all his creation, but who fell from his love and are in need of a true Savior. And this Savior did come, gave his life 
on a cross so that all might come. And maybe you're here and you've said yes to this story. You have by faith put your trust in God. Amen. But what about those who have not? Relatives, classmates, neighbors, friends, co-workers. So God, we thank you again for Jesus' life. Thank you for his amazing sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for your example, for the way you love and the way you live. Thank you for the promise of a comforter, the one that would come to not just be with us, but to be in us, to give us the power to live like you, to walk like you, and to love like you. So Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence with us even today. We thank you for the work that you're doing even as I cry out to you, moving in the hearts of those here today. For those that have been idle with their spiritual lives, not prepared. For those that we know that are beyond our reach, it's your power that draws all people to repentance. Will you give us the courage? Will you give us the humility to pray for them? We thank you for your life. And we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded again in a fresh way, even today. Oh, we long for your coming, Jesus. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And may you find us faithful, waiting for you. This is our prayer. In your name, Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.